You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the group think, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the conservative conscience. And welcome back to the conservative conscience here at Conservative Review. It is Tuesday, April 23rd, and let me tell you, we have an aggressive posture from this administration. We had an international event, incident at our border which in any other era would have been an act of war that we found out about over the weekend, but it happened a week ago. And guess what? This administration is responding with robust action. And I'm so glad it's happening as we're going on air here today. The president has announced that he is barring all administrative officials from attending the National Correspondents' Dinner with the media. Yup. This is the quintessential Trump administration. He gets tough and bold in a way other Republican presidents didn't do on all the things that don't matter. Or all the things that... I, I Look, I, God bless him. I agree with it. It's great. It would be the icing on the cake if we freaking had the cake and didn't go backwards on sovereignty from even the Obama administration. Now, look, let me just say from the onset, I will get to at some point, either today or tomorrow or Thursday, there is good news going on. You know, so putting my sarcasm aside, he's he's being very tough on Iran. We criticized him last year for giving the waivers for oil sanctions. He's going full bore on Iran. I think we could really get very close to crushing Iran. That's good. There are some announcements of clamping down on visa overstays, but we got to see what they actually do on that. But I cannot let go the fundamentals of what is happening to our nation. And this incident that took place with five Mexican soldiers detaining and disarming not just Border Patrol, but military on our border, our side of the border. And government just shrugs it off. I've been talking to a lot of people, one of whom I really want to get on the show this week, that are calling BS on this. And this is a very serious problem. But I want, I want to come back to that a little later and start more with the courts because it all, of course, ties in. Perhaps this incident of basically two soldiers getting the equivalent of in terms of morale of a military man prison raped by Mexican soldiers on our soil. The backdrop of having a Supreme Court case discussing whether we're allowed to even ask a citizenship question on the census. Are we allowed to govern ourselves? Could we wipe our rear ends? The notion that they could come on our soil, disarm our soldiers. They could come here 
and unilaterally grab citizenship. They could come here and grab the census for themselves. They could come here and grab access to the courts, access to our schools, access to our hospitals, steal everything from us, and we can't do anything about it. It's very apropos that we're discussing this incident at our border. Had a former Border Patrol agent on yesterday, very enlightening conversation about it. The backdrop of this Supreme Court case. So I want to start first with that, with this Supreme Court case, and kind of work backwards from there. Um, and I, I want to give you obviously there's some good news. But again, I want to show you what good news looks like in the courts so long as we're going to continue to play this heads-we-lose-tails-we-lose game with the other side and agree to their game. Let, let, let's say, um, you know, I don't know. I'm trying to think of something more absurd than what's already happened. But let's say the left takes Trump to court and says, um, Mr. Trump... You have to allow your wife to be raped by two Mexican illegals. And they take it to court, and they actually win in the lower courts. And then we take it, we appeal to the Supreme Court. And, you know, based on oral arguments, it appears that we're going to prevail. Let me ask you a question, folks. Is that a victory? (laughs) The fact that this is even in a court, that someone could get standing, that it's even justiciable, that we've gone this far, demonstrates how we've already lost by agreeing to this entire dominion of the courts. Let me explain to you what's happening here. How the hell does someone get standing to sue for asking the citizenship question? which was asked, of course, until the 1950s. Tell me. You're not doing anything to anyone. You're literally not doing anything. You're not requiring anything of anyone. There is no standing. A court can't rule on that. A court cannot rule on that. And number two, it's not gestatiable. There's no harm. They're saying, oh, it's going to intimidate people from answering the census. Pure speculation. But, you know, it appears that the five Republican appointees on the court are going to hold. Here's from the the Wall Street Journal. The Supreme Court appeared deeply divided on whether the Trump administration can ask U.S. residents on the 2020 census whether they are citizens, with the court's conservative majority voicing skepticism of legal challengers who say adding the question is unlawful. Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross, whose agency oversees the Census Bureau, announced the addition of the citizenship question last year, which prompted immediate legal challenges, yada, yada. Okay, U.S. Solicitor General Noel Francisco defending... The administration appeared first during the 80-minute oral argument Tuesday, and liberal justices waited just seconds before jumping in to voice their concerns. Justice Sonia Sotomayor, the day's most active questioner, said study after study showed that adding, adding the citizenship question would reduce census response rates and make the population count less accurate. That is about 
This is about 100% that people will answer less, she said. I haven't seen any evidence to the contrary, Justice Stephen Breyer added. Justice Elena Kagan said Mr. Ross needed some valid, supportable reasons for adding a question, but said she didn't see any. (laughs) The barrage of questions was so steady that Chief Justice John Roberts urged his colleagues to give Mr. Francisco time to answer. (laughs) Oh, boy. Um, conservative justices appeared sympathetic to that position and suggested that it was hazy and unknowable whether adding the citizenship question would really have a negative effect on the population count. Chief Justice Roberts said it's quite common for the census to ask demographic questions and that the survey was used to gather information beyond how many people are there. Justices Brett Kavanaugh and Neil Gorsuch said the United Nations recommended that countries ask citizenship questions. Justice Samuel Alito on several occasions suggested Mr. Ross was within the bounds of reasonableness and choosing to add the question. Okay, decision is expected by the end of June. So I, I want you to understand this is a case study of what happens. So you have a case that should never get standing. It should never be gestatiable. It should be out of bounds of the judiciary. It's beyond absurd. And what you're going to wind up getting is a lower court screw you, and then you f- you win a very narrow five to four victory where, where the four liberals are just you know a hundred percent certain that you can't do this, and you know I I know what Thomas will say and we'll see who joins him, but you could tell that the rest of them will be kind of like they're not. You could tell by their questions they're they're not going to say this is out of bounds. They're like yeah, it's reasonable enough. Like as if yes, you are allowed to do this. So I mean even a win is bogus. It's going to be very narrow. That yeah, this is re- it's not going to be like are you kidding me? The entire purpose of 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 a census is to see the citizens. Not like oh it's reasonable enough. We don't see enough of a I mean, it doesn't matter if, what it does. Let's let's say a bunch of people like say, "Hey, I'm going to feel discouraged from answering." So what? Are are, are you kidding me? A court when when Congress has full power over the census. A court could now have dominion over the census? I mean, <laughs> have we gone that far? The premise of all the justices here, I mean, Thomas never as, takes part in the questioning, is that, you know, it's reasonable. Notice how the left is like, even when they're taking the most unreasonable position, they're like, there's not a shred of legitimacy to what you're doing. Our side is like, yeah, you know, uh, he's kind of right, but you know they, they don't look at them like they're from Mars. And, and, and that's the point. So think about it. It took this long to get this win. And by the way, the only reason why we're going to get this win within like a year even is just because of the deadline of the census. So they had the Supreme Court had to take this up. But with so many other things, we don't even get to this stage for, after years of irreparable harm. Here, there's no... The census is a one-stop shop, so they're about to do it. They didn't yet do it, so you know they're going to take care of it before. But with all these immigration cases, as we've talked about so many times, there's irreparable harm. But anyway, let's say we win it. You're not going to have five Republican appointee justices saying, there's no standing, this is not justiciable, this is ridiculous. No, it's going to be a very narrow win. What does this mean? All it means is that you could ask the question. Now, we all know what we want is not just to ask the question, but to then, when you have the data, discount illegal aliens in the census. Remember, the administration is not 
officially trying to do that. So if we would ever want to do that, guess what? That will not be covered under this decision at all. That's a totally different question, discounting them. They're going to say, oh, it's in the 14th Amendment. You have to count them. And we're going to have to start all over again. Think about the fact that we have, and this is an extremely conservative estimate for a number of reasons. It's old. It's before the Central American invasion. It's as of 2013. According to DHS, there were 2 million criminal aliens in this country, meaning not just illegal aliens, but they were arrested for a crime. 2 million. Even those guys are counted in the census and permanently steal our sovereignty and distort our representation. So that's, that, that's what I mean. It's very narrow. And then, then there's another thing too. So obviously the left is never happy. You know, they don't take even a you know, defensive loss on our side or a defensive victory on our side very well. There's a lot of um, leftists putting out there, and, and, and you know, we've pointed this out. This is already this is already um you know just totally totally out of bounds, but they're starting to say that the Supreme Court is illegitimate. Which is by the way why Roberts is being so cautious. They're saying they're illegitimate. Okay? And they're and I told you last week from Judge Tate Reeves from Mississippi, the lower court liberal judges think this way. That's part of why they push back against the Supreme Court without directly saying they're doing that. Because they believe that they have morality on their side. So that's why they're unfazed. See, when our side, when we get a loss at the Supreme Court, we might put out some articles and say, oh, why, you know, legally we believe they're wrong, the court got it wrong, but ultimately we're not going to do anything about it. Or maybe it's the law of the land. The other side is like, screw that, and they come back for more. So I just wanted you to know why we're not winning in the courts and the fact that based on the things that we're so-called winning that demonstrates how far – just the nature of what is before the court. Remember, there's two steps before you lose a case. You first establish the specter, the premise, that this is even legitimate to fight in the courts. So yeah, it's not a straight line where the left is going to win 100 out of 100 right away. But remember, they only have to win once. So they first establish that it's legitimate. Even the Supreme Court is going to kind of legitimize it. Hem and haw, yeah. You know, there's times where it's legitimate to litigate it against the census, but this is a bridge too far. And then, boom, you got four justices that are ironclad already. You know, and they'll just they'll just work from there. They'll just, I mean, that this is what they do on every issue. And again, before we go back to immigration and the invasion, it's just I wanted you guys to understand this is what is happening all across the courts. Some of you asked me about this a couple of weeks ago. This um, report came out. This meme came out that. Trump successfully flipped the Third Circuit Court of Appeals, right? That's the court in uh, covers uh, – federal appellate court covers Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Delaware, based in Philly. We flipped it, and I, I told you guys at the time, I said, look, I mean it means on the, the active 
full-time judges, there's more Republican appointees. But every Democrat appointee is a nutcase, and a lot of the Republican appointees are very tepid. So it's not true. So anyway, yesterday, I'm sure some of you saw this. There's a ruling from the Third Circuit upholding a district court saying that Catholic adoption agencies have no choice but to take a kid of no fault of his own. You know, we talk about illegal immigrant kids coming here from no fault of their own. Well, how about taking a kid of no fault of his own and sticking him in this rinky-dinky, funky arrangement of two men or two women or five men and a horse and a dog, whatever they want to call a marriage, of no fault of his own. And he, that kid is stuck with that psychological damage of that nonsense. You know, there's one thing you believe in it, all right? At least give a kid a choice. But the notion that it's so equal, oh, there's no difference. There's a man and a woman, and there's three men and two dogs, and three men and three women, and four men. And that you could just take a kid and shove him in there. So um, this is in the Third Circuit Court of Appeals. And yes, two out of the three judges were Democrat appointees. So you know, even if in the full panel you have a majority Republican, sometimes you can get the three-judge panel is skewed one way. But still, there was one Reagan judge, and like I've told you many times before, you know, a lot of the Reagan and Bush judges, I mean, they, they were just weren't good. Remember, we, we didn't focus on the lower courts back then as much because they weren't that important. We didn't give them the power we accord them today. And now this 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 is blown up on us. So there you go. So um Last summer, U.S. District Judge Petrius Tucker ruled in favor of Philadelphia, finding that CSS, right, this is the um, Catholic Social Services, was discriminating against members of the LGBTQ community in violation of non-discrimination clause of its contract. So um, there you go. The city stands on firm ground in requiring its contractors to abide by its non-discrimination policies when administering public services, U.S. Circuit Judge Thomas Ambrose wrote for a unanimous three-judge panel. So, so much for flipping the Third Circuit. And I'm sure a number of other punks will, uh, will do this as well. I'm sure you know a number of other Republican appointees there would be that way. But anyway, we've given our border over to the judges, as you well know. Now, the incident that we spoke about yesterday, our article is up on Drudge. Look, you know, I'm thankful that Drudge is kind of somewhat back on the reservation. Look, I'd rather having have him inside the tent pissing out than the other way around. So, you know, we were kind of off for a couple of years. Now he's putting my articles up. That's great. So I'm glad that it was up there. And um, we're going to have another powerful article coming out on this. But I want to just preface. So this this happened not just not to Border Patrol. These were active duty military sitting like sitting ducks at our border with their thumbs up their rear end. Armed with merely a sidearm, totally not watching that they were being surveilled. And these five, six Mexican dudes Mexican soldiers come up, order them out by gunpoint, humiliate one of them by taking a sidearm and putting it in the truck and leaving. They were about 50 feet 
north of our border. They crossed the river. And our government's like, yeah, you know, they thought they were on the south side. It was a mistake. And I asked them, all right, you know, I asked DOD, well, you know, are you demanding a response, an apology from the Mexican government? Have the, has the Mexican government officially responded? Oh, Daniel, you need to talk to the State Department. I go to the State Department. They say, you need to talk to um, CBP and DOD. I say, well, they said I need to come to you. And, well, there it is. So I'm not going to get the truth from them. But I just want to preface this by noting General Mark Miley yesterday put out on Twitter, he is the Army Chief of Staff. He said, the United States Army is committed to protecting its 13 million acres of land and 180-plus threatened or endangered species that coexist on our installations. Great stewardship of our environment supports readiness. And he did that in honor of Earth Day. I want you to know, these are the generals we have running our military now. We have a military that believes transgenderism and Earth Day are more important than destroying the enemy. So when you see these tactical operational decisions being made on rules of engagement and core mission, this is what it is. These are people that have created an industry, a money-making industry with the military-industrial complex, leaving our soldiers as sitting ducks in these random Islamic civil wars, costing trillions of dollars and thousands of lives, while we have... Our own territory, not only unsecured to the ranchers, but unsecured even to our own military personnel. We refuse to treat this like an invasion. You know, right now as I'm talking, CBP in Arizona, you could look up on Twitter, look up CBP Arizona's account. U.S. Border Patrol cameras capture, they have a video, capture armed men escorting Central American mother and son across the U.S.-Mexican border. Armed men. So it's the, the, the migration of the poor people is inextricably linked up with the cartels, with the invasion, often the Mexican military working with the cartels, working for them, the corrupt elements of it, armed. How is that not a military issue, a national security issue, that requires Trump to have a military buildup at our border and, yes, shut off migration, not just because we should be doing that because of immigration law, and that is the law, but because of the invasion and that the courts have no dominion and he needs to assert that. But I don't hear anything. Instead, he's like yesterday, like, nobody disobeys my orders. Yeah. Try talking to these folks at DHS. They disobey what he says every day. And he doesn't do anything about it. So, you know, this is what's going on in our border. A total invasion. We don't believe in ourselves anymore as a nation. I mean, that, that, that's just what it is. We don't believe, we believe we have to apologize for having a nation. Please, I'm sorry for carrying a sidearm on our border. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. To apologize to illegal immigrants. That's the type of country we are now. Think about what Russia and China and Iran are are thinking when they watch this. Believe me, they know what, what these Mexican soldiers did. Now, everyone I've spoken to is very clear that these were obviously rogue elements, which there's many, many, many rogue elements of the Mexican army. 
the Marines are more kind of centrally controlled by the government. The Army is very much, especially in the northern part, far away from Mexico City, working for the cartels. Because think about it. Who do they fear more, the cartels or our military? Well, clearly they don't fear our military or border patrol. So they're going to be working for the cartels. Now think about it. You have a team of four to six guys. That's a special ops team. What do we know? They had the patches removed. That's what the two Americans who were debriefed said. That's called sanitizing a mission. That's what our special ops would do. When there's no connection to you, you, you take all those labels off. That's what they were doing. They were totally ops testing our response. And now they know. The notion that at 2 p.m. in middle of the day, they would just get lost and cross the river and make a mistake, that's a very big problem. It's very concerning what government admits happened, but then their response doesn't own up to what they say. That's a very big problem. I don't, I don't, I don't see how we can move on from this. The more you don't believe in sovereignty and you believe that an unlimited number of migrants could come here and you can't do anything about it because of Mexico, there's no end to that. So then when they come belligerently, you're not going to do anything about that either. It's that simple. So that is what's really scary here. You know what? I'm wondering if the Mexicans on our soil, here's my question. Let's say we happen to be taking a census count just um, at the moment these soldiers invaded and uh, attacked our, our, uh, our soldiers. Should they be counted in the census? I mean, that's what all the smart legal people tell us, so I guess they have to be counted in the census. There's something really bad going on here. I have a lot to talk about. The oil sanctions, I really wanted to get to that. A lot a lot of news on healthcare. Tons of stories just in my quick hits I, I wanted to get to, but I can't move on from this. Tell me what matters more than this. We don't believe in ourselves. This is really scary. You know, when the when when Sedina, that's the Mex, Mexican Mexican defense, their ar- army, a decade ago, when they were doing these strategic, uh, um, you know, exercises, these uh, practice runs, so to speak. Do you know who they were wargaming against? Their National Readiness Training Center exercises. They were doing it against against our people. And I've said that many times. You know, and, and the cartels are doing this on purpose. See, the cartel guys won't have their officials approach Border Patrol or the military like that. They're just not going to do it because it's not worth you know they're not going to blow up their business over it but the perfect cover is for them to get the corrupt mexican government elements 
to do the espionage for them because they know that it's the Mexican government, so we can't do anything about it. And we won't do anything about it. And you know what? They're right. Sadly, they are right. What is it going to take? I don't know. Perhaps, and, and this is something we might talk about with our guests this week, Mexico, people don't realize, is really hanging on by a thread and might totally collapse. Perhaps that's the only way to force our government to finally deal with the problem. Finally get our military in there and create a buffer zone. I'm not interested in nation building at this point. The the notion that we can't live in prosperity when we spend $750 billion a year on the military unless we help others because we can't control our sovereignty unless we deal with the push problem. No, 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 no. We could create a buffer zone. Nothing crosses that. Anything south of that, look, you're on your own. We're not going to deal with that. We're not going to get sucked into it. The buffer zone should be on their side of the border, not on our side of the border. That needs to be the rallying cry. Not one inch of our soil should be unsecured. While we spend trillions of dollars and thousands of lives doing social work in a combat zone for Islamic belligerents in Afghanistan. That's what needs to be done. But it's funny how we had this whole debate over foreign influence in our elections. When we have the ultimate foreign control of our government. I mean, think about it. Where they're basically telling us Mexican soldiers could come here, detain and disarm our soldiers. I guess if we're counting in a census at that point, then presumably they'd be counted. And I guess if they came over with their pregnant mistress, one of the soldiers, and dropped the baby, well, that baby's an American. There's nothing we can do about it, huh-huh? The court said so. And, you know, at some point, just between illegal immigration and irresponsible legal immigration, there's nothing left. Wall Street Journal, this is from last week. Some of you probably saw it. Immigrants propel population growth in 10% of U.S. counties. About 1 in 10 U.S. counties grew in the fiscal year that ended last June, primarily because of immigration. Now, again, I understand that, you know, I totally get the fact that we got problems in our own home front, in our own culture. But the answer is not aggravating the lack of replacement from your natives by just replacing your population. You can't do that. You just can't do that. I, I want to give you a sense of what how big the transformation is. What was the biggest wave of immigration we've had until this era? Well... You know, the great wave of immigration from 1880 to roughly 1920. But we had a shutoff. First of all, the period of immigration was not as big as as this one is. We had a shutoff. And basically, 
until we started ramping it up around 1970 again, pursuant to you know Hart Seller, that those five decades worked wonders. And again, mixed with the fact that we still had a solid American culture that was, you know, people getting married and starting families. So if you look at the mix of the natives and the, um, you know, the the, the immigrants, it, it created a mathematical demographic dynamic as follows. By 1970, that's 90 years after the beginning of the Great Wave. So you're looking at a long-term view of the net effect of the Great Wave the immigration population had only increased 44% in raw numbers. Over that same period, the native-born population increased by 306%. Contrast this to the current wave of naturalization, which is already three times larger than the peak wave in the 40s. Right, because the 40s is when they naturalized from the you know, turn of the century. And it's coinciding with an even larger wave of new immigrants, legal and illegal, coming to reinforce the new citizens, anchoring them back in their old culture and values. So what happened by 2060? So that is, again, same 90-year benchmark after 1970. That's, that's how I'm doing it. The immigrant population is projected to grow by 715%. From 1970 to 2060. For that same period, the native-born population is projected to increase by just 77%. 715 immigrant, 77 native, as compared to 306 native, 44 immigrant from the Great Wave. It's not even foreign influence, foreign domination. It's a foreign country. And I know we have legal immigrants listening to the show. I mean, you would appreciate that. You came for America. You know, th- this is just this is just out of control. Out of control. Th- 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 this is really really problematic. Very, very problematic. And, you know, just from a cultural standpoint, it would be bad enough. Right? That's obvious. But think about the criminal elements we're, we're, we're allowing to come in now. I mean, you see this every day. Border Patrol agents in New York foil smuggling attempts and arrest suspect, suspected smuggler. That's actually the northern border. Um, multiple criminals arrested by Border Patrol in Rio Grande Valley. These are just CBP headlines I'm reading. Rio Grande Valley Border Patrol surpasses 2018 total apprehensions. Less than seven months into the fiscal year, the Rio Grande Valley sector of the U.S. Border Patrol sector has apprehended more than 164,000 people to date, surpassing the total number of apprehensions made in fiscal year 2018. Just last week, we hit a new a new daily record. <clears throat> 4,800 apprehensions in one day across the border. 4,800. I never remember anything like that. 
I mean, that's that's just utterly insane. Just to give you a sense of how much that is, I mean, we're not getting that yet every day, but we're getting close to that. That's an annualized pace of 1.75 million. And yeah, all indications are that, you know, the April numbers will blow out the March numbers, like March blew out February and February blew out January. But now that Overton window has kind of moved on. We've become accepting of it. There's no sense of urgency from the White House, not that I'm seeing. Why aren't they turning this down? Saying this is bogus asylum. Moreover, as I noted last week and two weeks ago, less than 10% are even asserting a credible fear. What about the rest of them? Why are they being processed and released and not being put into expedited removal? It's funny, Mark Morgan, friend of the show, former border chief, he just emails me and he's like, Dan, you're right. Because he was vigorously denied, like, you know, pushing back when I was suggesting this. He said, it doesn't make any sense. Like, they're, they're, why would they do that? I said, I don't know, but they're doing it. He must have spoken to someone, and now he's like, yeah, Daniel, you're right. They're bringing in even those that aren't asserting a credible fear. I, I'm just telling you, my worst nightmares, I never dreamt of things getting this bad, even under a Democrat administration. Not sure what to tell you. But um, but that's where we are. Could you imagine the number of criminals getting in? You know, I have an article out today on the criminal alien rampage. I go through about six different cases: rape, child molestation, drunk driving, homicides, sex slavery on our soil, just straight up. That's what we brought in. And, you know, some of them we, we spoke about last week. And the thing is, the common denominator with all of them is a lot of them re-entered the country. But a lot of them, they were released. They were put into this black hole of the immigration court system, never showed up, and we never got a hold of them. They went on to kill people, rape people. Our laws were designed to stop this. They're supposed to be out of here. And again... You reach a point where it's not even like turning down asylum claims or even or you know expedited removal or even a 212F shutoff. It's straight up an invasion that requires the military much less processing them. And when I say the military, I mean the military acting like the military, not like some social work operation. So this is out of control, way out of control, way out of line. Very depressing. So we have that article out. Um, We'll link to in show notes. And if you think about it, Rain Corporation, liberal outlet, but they put out a study this week, I think it was Monday, noting that the cartels made $2.3 billion in 2017 off of um, the illegal immigration, right? The several thousand dollars each one has to pay. Now, if you notice, they did this study 
in 2017. If you remember 2017, much of the year we had the Trump effect, where migration was much, uh, much lower. This year, it could be double or, or triple that. Easily five, six billion dollars. Five, six billion dollars into the hands of the cartel. We pay for the rope to hang ourselves so they could get in more drugs. We pay for the welfare of illegal aliens so they could come in, vote in our elections, agitate politically, get standing in courts, get counted in the census, and steal the American birthright for their, their, their children. That is the sad reality. That is the sad, sad reality. Um, there's something really wrong about that. There is something really wrong about that. So some of you might have seen this, but an operative for Casa de Maryland, here where I am in Maryland, I'm not in that part of Maryland, but Montgomery County, which is a cesspool of MS-13 gang activity. But an operative of theirs was arrested for murder. Casa de Maryland, a criminal organization, and they admitted that this guy was an election canvasser, an illegal alien election canvasser, was never deported, and was here, um, was here uh, illegally. So here's what I got from ICE. On April 16th, ICE lodged a detainer on unlawfully present El Salvador National Dar Darwin Reynati Rosa following his recent arrest for assault and attempted murder. ICE confirmed to me that, quote, an immigration judge previously granted Reynati Rosa voluntary departure on August 26, 2008. However, Reynati Rosa failed to comply with the judge's order and depart the United States. And he was allowed to work for CASA, doing election canvassing. Orwell could not have written a book about America in the year 2019. You see what I mean when I say once you get onto this narrative of stolen sovereignty, it's hard to focus on other things because it's hard to see what, what really matters. You know? Just out of control. Now, there's another story I wanted to get to today. And that is DOJ put out <clears throat> their next report for, I believe it's the second half of fiscal year 2018. Tallying how many illegals and legal immigrants are in federal custody between the Bureau of Prisons and the United States Marshals Service. And they note that 60,000 foreign nationals are there. 60,000. Okay? 60,000. I want you to think about that. 
60,000. Of that, about 41,138 were confirmed illegal aliens who have either been de ordered deported from the U.S. once they are released from federal custody or who are under adjudication proceedings to be deported. Think about that. 41,000. I mean, that, that, that is simply astounding. Utterly astounding. So that's where we are. And remember, those are just the ones in federal prison. There's an endless number in state prison. Now, they try to quantify that in this report, but it's very hard. But I want you to think about that. 59, it's 59,945 known or suspected aliens were in DOJ custody. You know, now some people might say, well, Daniel, of course, most of them are there for immigration charges. So by definition, they're going to be in the federal system. It doesn't prove the criminality of the, you know, their proclivity to commit crimes. But it's not true because I've told you this before <clears throat> that generally speaking, the federal government doesn't charge people on immigration charges for the sake of it. If we give them amnesty, we give them amnesty. If we don't, we deport them. But the fact that we hit them up on immigration charges, usually it's because they committed another crime. It's just too hard to land a conviction. So, you know, you have it incontrovertible that they're, you know, violated immigration law. So it's easier to, you know, and you want to lock them up because you're scared they murdered, raped, robbed, drug trafficking, whatever. So you hit them up on it. Remember, these are not people in ICE custody. They're in DOJ custody. That means they committed a crime other than being here illegally, usually. So, um, you know, th th there you have it, folks. There you have it. Roughly 21% in federal prison. They compri comprising federal prison. They only make up about... 4% of the population. That is pretty scary. And I could believe it based on, on all the stories we're seeing. You know, and then there's those in the marshal's custody. As of March 31st, 2018, 21,554 confirmed aliens were in U.S. marshal's custody along with 2,075 individuals for whom alienage has not yet been determined. Confirmed aliens identified through self-reporting or through confirmation of alienage by ICE comprised 38% of the 56,436 individuals in U.S. Marshals' custody. Think about that. So they're not account accounting for the 2,000 others that their citizenship, their status has not been determined. I mean... I would imagine the overwhelming majority, if not all of them, are indeed not citizens because that's usually pretty easy to find. That is pretty easy to find. So that would put it more at 41-42% of those in U.S. Marshals' custody are foreign nationals. Remember, we're told about all these federal jailbreak programs. 
I tell everyone, immigration's the 800-pound gorilla in the room. So just from a criminal justice standpoint, if you're worried about spending, we spend several billion dollars a year on incarceration costs, well, if we actually had a border and had sovereignty, you wouldn't have to do this. They wouldn't be here in the first place. It's that simple. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine that? Now, again, this number is including everyone. It's legal immigrants, too. But the majority were illegal immigrants, overwhelming majority. I'm just trying to get an exact number. I don't have the exact number. They say 69% of all aliens in U.S. Marshals' custody were apprehended at the southwest border. So, um, whatever it is, you're talking about a population that comprises three, three and a half to four percent of our country's population. Yet they comprise, gosh, probably roughly thirty percent. Just talking about illegals of U.S. Marshals' custody. <laughs> so, again, that tells you two things. Just from a criminal justice standpoint how much we're spending on it. So if you're worried about, ah, we're locking up too many people in federal prison, I'm like, now you could appreciate what I was yelling about all last last year. I said, look, if you're talking about the federal criminal justice system, immigration is the 800-pound gorilla in the room. Deal with that first and then come back to me about your incarceration problem. But number two, it demonstrates the degree of criminality. Because again, a run-of-the-mill illegal just being here for being illegal will be in ISIS custody where they'll be let go. If they're in Marshall's custody pending trial, they are going to be bad dudes that did other stuff. Then you have um, Texas. 279,000 criminal aliens have been booked into local Texas jails between June 1st, 2011 and January 31st, 2019. Between them, they accrued more than 295,000 criminal offenses, 539 homicides, 32,785 assaults, 5,737 burglaries, 37,000 drug charges, 403 kidnapping, 15,991 theft charges, 1,660 robbery charges, 3,473 sexual assault charges, 2,170 sexual offense charges, 2976 weapons charges. Remember, remember. Those reflect those with criminal charges. Um these are people these Texas numbers I want to make it very clear. These are people that simply were caught by DHS. They're like re-entrants. How many more of the worst of the worst are never caught by definition because they pay the cartels to get let in in a more strategic way? And the first time they come into contact with law enforcement is Texas. Texas doesn't have DHS fingerprints on them. These are just the people that DHS apprehended at some point. So the real numbers of homicides and assault are likely double that. 
That's what we have in this country. Anyway, I got to run. I had a lot, lot more stuff to go go through, and I want to start organizing some uh, some guests for the show. But I wanted to give you these updates on what's going on with our sovereignty, what's going on with the courts. Again, we will always strive here to speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God. God bless y'all. Thanks for listening. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. Thank you.